listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Hey, if you have your Bible, turn to James chapter 5. We've got this Sunday and then one more Sunday in the book of James. I mean, it's been, it's been fun. And then the first Sunday of February, we will start in 2 Timothy. But this morning, we're in James chapter 5. And we're going to be in verse 13 uh, in just a minute. James 5, 13. As you're turning there, question, are there any golfers in the room? Anybody, you raise your hand and say, I like golf. Oh, yeah, cross the room. I see those hands. I don't understand you. <laughs> I, I don't. I, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I, I'm not a golfer. If you invite me to go golfing, um, I, 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 I might would take you up on it, but probably not. Like, I just, I, I don't like golf. I don't, I, a lot of this is because I don't understand it. So if you invite me to go golfing, I, I might go out of guilt, but I'm not gonna see it as a gift, right? Like, I might go and experience, uh, I will go and experience frustration it, even though you're, it's an invitation. Like I, it's, it's not gonna be exciting to me. And a big reason is I just, I, I'm not good at it. Like I'm terrible at it. I remember uh, my youth pastor growing up was like, man, you can't be that bad. And we played just nine holes in the course of nine holes, not out of anger, not out of frustration, but out of just because I kept hitting the ground. I broke two drivers in nine holes. Like he was like, you are bad, man. <laughs> you're pretty bad. I don't, I don't know the club I should use. I'm kind of happy Gilmore style, I guess, right? Like, um, I, I don't know the angle. I don't know how much force. Like, I, I just, because I don't know how to play, it, it, it's not fun. I, I, don't, I don't understand. So even like, uh, I've had to, I think it's the right word, so I've had to go golfing with some of my wife's uh, work buddies for different occasions, I guess twice or two, three times. And we play 18 holes. And seriously, after nine holes, it feels a little bit like torture because I, I just don't know what to do. Now, something that is the complete opposite, not because I'm great at it, I'm not saying that, but if you invite me to go shoot sporting clays, I, I can get into that. I, I said, bro, Jerry back there, we used to, used to go every now and then, right? Like, I, I don't, I'm not great at sporting clays, but because I have a framework of how to do it, I, I enjoy it. I, if you invite me to go shoot sporting clays, I'm not gonna go out of guilt. I'm gonna go because, hey, this is a gift, or it's, I'm not gonna go and experience frustration. It's gonna be truly an invitation to me because I have a framework of, of how to do it. When I think about our, our prayer life, so many of us, it does feel like guilt. Like, oh yeah, I gotta pray, I should pray more. Like how many of us, we hear anything about prayer and our automatic mindset is, oh, I should pray more. We feel guilty about it. Or it, it feels more like frustration than anything. I think the reality is for a lot of us, even though we've grown up in the church, we don't know how to pray. We think of it as just this, okay, it's this laundry list. I take to God and I just run through it. The reality is that that's not what prayer is or even how you should approach prayer. In, in this text, uh, James is gonna give us some key practices in prayer, which should not be a surprise because as we've been going through James, we've seen over and over again, it's incredibly practical. He's helping us put our faith into practice, actually to live it out. So we have faith. How do we work that faith out? And so this morning, his focus is on prayer. Uh, I love how he starts off. He says, it's very simple. <laughs> is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. The idea, like even kind of a more uh, literal understanding is anybody feeling bad, which 
on any given week, I, I would say if, like if I did a poll, and did anyone feel bad this week? Like, was there one day you felt bad, whether it be mentally, physically, emotionally, all of us would be able to raise our hand. Saying, if you're, if you're suffering, you're feeling bad, you should what? You should pray. Is anyone cheerful? So he kind of flips it. Anybody feeling good? By the way, it's okay to feel good. I think we're obsessed in our culture. We have to point out the negative. Well, you know, it was a pretty good day, but <laughs> it's okay to have a good day. It's okay to feel good. Like, had the Jaguars beat the Chiefs last night, y'all wouldn't have been able to control me today. Like, it been out of control. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm under control. <laughs> I, I'm suffering, so I'm praying. Anyway, sorry, focus. Uh, where were, oh yeah. If you're, if you're cheerful, you should sing praises, which like, let's, let's think about this for a second. Even with what we just did, which again, Colin and Emily, thank y'all so much for coming and leading this morning. But singing praises is, is prayer. Like we're not just singing for the sake of singing. No, when you're singing, you should be talking to who? Yeah, you're talking to God, you're praising him. You're not, you're not just singing and like want others to hear you. You know, it's, it's, you're singing to the Lord. It, which is prayer. See, your walk with God, Christianity is not just about information. It's about conversation, right? That's what Ben Stewart says about this, that point. That it's not just information, learning all these things. It's, it's conversation that when I'm suffering, when I'm feeling bad, I pray. And when I'm feeling good and I'm cheerful, I, I sing praises, which again is, is talking to God. Man, God, life is so good right now. I want to praise you. I, I want to sing about that. It, it's a good thing. If I, if I could just sum up what he's saying really simply, it's, it's, be real. How should you pray? You, you should be real with God. Hebrews 4.16 says that we should come boldly to the throne of grace to receive grace and mercy and help in our time of need. 1 Peter 5.7 5, 7 says to cast your anxiety on Christ because he cares for you. So rather than feel like I have to be fake with the Lord, no, he just wants me to, to be real with with who I am and what I'm experiencing in the moment. Uh, a lot of our, our younger people know of an app, but raise your hand if you know of the social media platform, Be Real. Yeah, I thought it would be about this section right here. No offense, everybody. <laughs> yeah, be, be Real is a social media platform. Um, I remember I got on it. I'm still on it technically, even though I haven't been on it in months. And I remember uh, it was very humbling when uh, like two weeks after being on it, two of our college students saw me back at the welcome center and they were like, oh, you're like the cool old dad on Be Real. And I was like, old dad? <laughs> so I haven't been on it in a while. <laughs> anyway, what, what I like about Be Real, what, what I think like it's, it's a really cool social media platform is because you can't be fake with it. And if you are fake with it, it calls you out. What I mean by that? So be real. You don't get to choose when you post. It notifies you. Like it's time to post and let your friends know what you're doing. And you have a two minute window. Am I right? It's been a while. A two minute window when that alert comes to your phone to post. And if you post later, like you're like, well, I don't like how I look right now. So I'm going to post 15 hours from now. It tells everybody that you posted 15 hours late. So it encouraged you to post in that window. By the way, y'all tell me if I've got it wrong. It's been a few months since I've been on it. Am I still, okay, still good, okay. Also, th there's no filters. Like you have to take the picture within the phone. It's, you just have to be real about it. I love that concept. We're so used to in our, in our world putting a filter on absolutely everything or only highlighting the best and brightest of our lives. 
Go, if you pray like that, you have a terrible prayer life. God's not inviting you to, to come to him and, and put a filter on or to just, just give him the lowlights and the highlights. Like j- just, just give him certain things. He wants you to come with everything you have, to just come as you are. So you don't have to, when you pray, start off, oh Lord, Heavenly Father, it's been such a beautiful day. No, just say, God, I'm struggling. I think some of the best prayers are when you're not even, you're not even like thinking about it. You just start talking to God because you, you can't help but overflow with what you're, what you're feeling. If you're suffering, you're feeling bad, you should pray. If you're cheerful, you should sing praises. Just come to God with what you have. I think, like, as far as applying some of that, the Psalms are really helpful for this. Like, if, you're, if you don't know what it looks like to, to be real with God in the highs and in the lows and just to come to him with what you have, the Psalms give you a great framework for what, for what that is. Like when David prays, God, where are you? Where did you go? Did you know you can pray that and God won't strike you dead? Like, so, oh, I know. You can, you can get real with God. Actually, that's what prayer is because he already sees your heart anyways. Well, I don't know, Brandon. Sometimes it just seems easier to like just distract myself with some social media or some television or to kind of numb it with whatever it may be. I, I would ask you, is that helping or is it just prolonging the pain? Do you see what he says? You should pray. This is the prescription. Not like, hey, it's one of the options. No, when you're struggling, when you're suffering, you should pray. When you're cheerful, you should, you should sing praises. This is, a, this is a command. Yes, it's an invitation, but it's a command. So often we do everything but pray. God's calling you to be real, to talk to him, to pray. As we keep reading this text, this next part is a gift that I think a lot of us probably forget about. He says, verse 14, is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. What is going on here? (laughs) He should call, so if you're sick, you should call the elders of the church. So the different understandings of what an elder means really throughout the centuries of the church, and certainly even today, there's different understandings of, of what elder means. But to give a very basic, certain understanding, it's, it's leaders in the church. So not necessarily just like people who have power in the church, no, people who, have, who are leaders in the church, godly leaders in the church. How I would say that plays out at Southcrest, uh, that would be, your, your staff, so pastors and directors, but also I would say that I think our Sunday school teachers or small group teachers and, and the directors kind of function in an elder way sometimes. They're, they're providing oversight and leadership to the church. Y'all tracking with me? So he says, if you're sick, you should call for the elders of the church and to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Well, what's going on there? Anointing him with oil. So there's, there's different perspectives of, of why the anointing oil there. But let me time out for a second. So the picture is you're, you're sick in bed. I believe that the text, the picture is like you're so sick that you, you can't even get up and go somewhere. You're having to call people to come to you, whatever the sickness may be. I even think, I think this would include like when people get so um, 
debilitated because of what's going on mentally in their mind. Like they, they can't get out of bed. I think that would be included here. But you're sick in bed and you call leaders in the church to come and pray over you. And the picture is then they anoint you with oil. So what is it with this oil? Some believe, it, uh, especially like they think back to some of the ancient context that maybe this was for medicinal purposes. Some believe that it was actually, there was power in the oil itself. I believe more in the third camp that it was, it was spiritual and symbolic, meaning that it was a, a, you could do something physically that represented something spiritually. Does that make sense? So it was a physical action, but spiritual meaning, symbolic meaning. And he says, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. So the power is not actually in the oil. The power is in who? It's in the Lord. But again, the oil is representing what's happening. So it makes something that's abstract a little bit more concrete. So as they're praying for you, they put the oil on your, on your forehead probably. It's this reminder of like, hey, there's something actually happening. Like prayer actually works. It's, it's making the abstract concrete. And again, and why I think the focus is not on the oil, but on God working is in the name of the Lord. Because if the, if the power was in the oil, then like, why don't I just get a big old super soaker and fill it full of oil and just like come up here and pump y'all every Sunday, right? Like just drench everybody in oil. No, that's, that's not the point. The power is in the prayer. So he says, the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. Physical action, symbolic significance of the Lord working. The prayer offered up in faith. He says, we said save. Again, the idea is, is heal and the Lord will raise him up. So if you read the gospels, so often when, when Jesus would heal somebody, the text says that he raised them up. So it was physical healing often described as being raised up. So then we, another problem, I think you could say like question in this text, a lot of thorny issues here, is with well, a prayer of faith will save the sick person. Well, what's the prayer of faith? It's simply praying in faith. Actually believing that, that God can do something. If it's, if this is a promise, then we have some problems. Have you ever prayed for somebody and really believed God could heal them and God didn't heal them? I have. We, we do hospital visits frequently as, as pastors. And I would say, I don't know, 90% of the time, uh, maybe more, nothing happens in that moment. Like we pray and we're believing, we're praying that God will heal this person and, and nothing, nothing happens all the time. Sometimes it, it takes weeks. Maybe sometimes the person actually passes away. Well, is it because we didn't have enough faith? Is, is it because the person didn't have enough faith? What's going on here? Paul prayed that God would take away the thorn in his flesh and God didn't take it away. Did Paul not have enough faith? Surely you wouldn't accuse him of that, right? What's going on? I don't think this is a promise for every situation, but a perspective for every situation that God can and does and delights in bringing res physical restoration to people, in healing people, and making them better. But we have to understand this verse 
of chapter five in light of chapter four, which chapter four establishes the sovereignty of God. If you think back to chapter four, he's talking about making plans, but he says, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. See, chapter five is already built on the foundation that God is sovereign and we, we live our lives and make decisions trusting and knowing that God is in control. So he's calling us to pray the prayer of faith, not as name it and claim it and why well, pray so they have to get healed. No, but, but knowing God invites us to pray for healing. God invites us to pray for restoration, but ultimately we trust and know that God is in control and his ways are best and we surrender to those. That is what the prayer of faith is, amen? Not just like, well, I'm a, I tell God what to do because I got power. Psh, no, I'm gonna come knowing God has invited me to pray. He's invited me to, to pray for those who are sick. And I'm gonna have faith. I know he can heal them. I know he can do a work in their life. But I'm also surrendered to the fact that he is in control. It's not a promise for every situation, but a perspective for every situation. I feel like there's some, there's, well, there's some clarity here in this text. There's also a little bit of mystery, right? I think it's a tension we have to, to hold with the Bible sometimes. It's like he, God gives us clarity, but there's, there's sometimes a little, a little bit of mystery, things that are tough to understand. That said, one thing I do know is that God's saying one of the, one of the gifts of, of prayer is the invitation. Are you inviting other people to pray for you? So second point, how should we pray? I would say real simply is this, you should receive it. Receive other people praying for you. Notice that he says, if you're sick, you should call the elders. Call, call those who have leadership in the church. Now, why does he say, why does he say to call the elders? I don't think he's, well, you know what? You better call the varsity team. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, you're sick. You better call the A-team Christians. No, it's, uh, there's no A-team, B-team. No, it's because I think he's giving us clarity and direction to make things more uh, effective and efficient. So if you're sick, you're like, oh man, I, just, I have no idea who I should call. No, he's saying, hey, surely, surely you can trust the, the leaders in your church that they are walking with God and they care for you and that they would like to come pray for you. I think that's why he says calling the elders. Like, surely the leaders in your church are walking with God, care for you and wanna pray for you. And if, and if that's not the case, then maybe you should find a different church, right? Like, if you can't call on your church leaders to come and pray for you and encourage you in your sickness and your time of need, then something's wrong. Friends, if you're here at Southcrest, I promise you, your church leaders want to care for you and want to pray for you, so receive it. I don't know how many times I've been told over the years, like, well, I wasn't feeling good, or I was having this issue, or I was stressed out, but I know you're busy, so I, I didn't want to call you. I want, I, I want, it'd be nice to have you pray for me, but I didn't want to call you because you're busy. Yo, that's what we're here for. My pastors and directors in the room. Is that why we're here? Can I get an amen? <laughs> that's why we're here, Right? We want to serve you. We want to be part of your life and your, yes, in the ups, but also in the downs. So receive that. Your, your Sunday school teachers, would you raise your hand if you are a small group teacher, Sunday school teacher, or director? Would you raise your hand? See several across the room? That's what you're here for, right? You want to serve 
and be a blessing to those that you lead. So folks, receive it, receive it. My uh, preaching professor used to say that some passages are like golden retrievers. They just roll down and show you their belly and just rub their belly and it's all good and easy. And some passages are like pit bulls, like, whoa, whoa, stay back, stay back, right? This passage is kind of a pit bull to me because I feel like it just keeps on bringing up tough issues. It says, the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up if he has committed sins. He will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. All right, if you've not been paying attention, you gotta pay attention now because otherwise you're gonna be confused. So you need to pinch yourself, sit up straight. Here we go, right? Again, clarity and mystery. James is showing us here, we don't wanna overstate it, but there is a connection between the physical and the spiritual. This is not, like, that should not blow your mind. Like, if you read the Bible, that should be familiar. There's a connection between the physical and the spiritual. And sometimes, sometimes, can you say sometimes? Sometimes, sickness is related to sin. Not always. Are you hearing me? Like, if, if you're confused, the book of Job makes abundantly clear that you cannot say, well, if someone is sick, they must have sinned. Eh, wrong. <laughs> That's not how it works. Jesus, one time his disciples said, uh, Jesus, who sinned? Was it, was it this guy or was it his parents? Jesus said, neither one. He's sick, so I can show you how awesome I am. That's the Brandon Hayes translation, but you get the idea, right? He said, don't do a one for one. Oh, they have a fever. They must have sinned. That, that's ridiculous. Don't do that. But James is showing that sometimes there is a connection between uh, the sin in your life and what you're feeling. I think just to fast forward for a second, I think it's one of the reasons why when you confess sin and turn from sin, you feel better, right? If you don't know what I'm talking, if you can't say right to that, then you must have never confessed sin. Because man, when you turn from sin, there is a freedom and a rolling off of that burden and that heaviness. So he says, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. I wanna quote uh, Douglas Moo for a second. He says, most often we shouldn't just assume God is trying to get our attention. Like, I'm sick, all must have sinned. However, there are times when our sinful choices are having a physical impact. Recognizing this possible connection, James encourages the sick person to deal with any potential spiritual causes of the illness that he is experiencing. So there is a connection. Like, like, man, I've been like struggling in my mind or emotions or I'm just feeling sick, like, it's worth considering, man, is there some, other, some things in my life where I'm pursuing sinfulness or instead of pursuing God? It is not the question, but it's a question. Y'all, am I making sense? So this is, don't be judging people because they're sick. Now sin, no. It's a question for you to consider. That's what he says. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Again, there's this connection. Like, man, part of, thriving in the Christian life is living a life of confession. Here's the third point on how to pray. Dare to be a sinner. What do I mean by that? Not like, sweet, I'm gonna dare to do some sin. No, dare to be real with God and other people, to acknowledge, God, I'm a sinner. Which by the way, when you, when you pray and you confess, it's not like God's like, oh no. He's like, yeah, that's why I came to the cross. 
because I know you're a sinner. He invites you to, again, to be real so you can dare to be a sinner, to take off the white choir robe of, I oh, have everything together and I'm perfect. No, be real with God. And notice, be real with others. See, your walk with God is meant to be a walk with others. Do you see over and over in this text, the idea of community, of, of praying for the elders to come and pray for you? Y'all, if you're not part of a church, what elders are you gonna call on? You gotta be part of community. If you're not part of a small group, who are you gonna call on? And then if you're not doing life with other believers, who are you gonna confess to? Who are you gonna dare to be a sinner with? I wanna read from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says, this is in his book, Life Together. He says, he who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. God has come to save you, to save the sinner. Be glad. This message is liberation through truth. You can hide nothing from God. The mask you wear before men will do you no good before him. He wants to see you as you are. He wants to be gracious to you. You don't have to go on lying to yourself and your brothers as if you were without sin. You can dare to be a sinner. Thank God for that. He loves the sinner, but hates the sin. It may be that Christians, notwithstanding corporate worship, common prayer, and all their fellowship and service, may still be left to their loneliness. The final breakthrough to fellowship does not occur because though they have fellowship with one another as believers and as devout people, they do not have fellowship as the undevout, as sinners. This is so good. The pious fellowship, excuse me, the pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everybody must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. So we remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. The fact is that we are sinners. You wanna grow in your prayer life? Then confess your sin to God. Dare to be a sinner and confess your sins to those around you. Not just like, oh, I, I hurt you, so I didn't apologize. Like, no, hey, I had this secret sin going on in my life. God, God would, or, or talking to your brother or sister, would, would, you, would you pray for me? Would you help me with this issue? I think it's no coincidence that this text follows after the Sean McDowell event we had on Friday night on pornography. Like, I'm just gonna, I'm going on a, a limb here that maybe some of you, you were convicted on Friday night that you need to confess some sin to a brother or sister, but you're like, eh, I don't know, I wanna put it off. This is God going, knock, 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 hello. <laughs> confess. There's healing in confession. There's, there's forgiveness. There's, there's hope when you dare to be a sinner. When you just take off the choir robe, yeah, I'm unperfect. And just like, hey, here's who I am. I wanna encourage you, maybe even like right now, you need to, with a sheet of paper or with your phone, you need to write down who you're gonna, who your people gonna be. Who are you gonna confess to? Who are you gonna ask to, to pray for you? It's interesting when you think about praying for one another, confessing our sins. This is not this defeatist attitude of like, well, Reese, you'll never believe it. Still sinner. Guess, guess I'm just stuck, man. Guess there's no hope. No, this is, this is about charging in 
to victory. This is saying we're gonna stick together. I think the, the fourth thing that's in this text that, of how to pray is to fight for one another. Not to confess and like, oh, I'm just the worst person ever, but say, hey, no, we're gonna confess our sins and we're going to pray for one another. Fight for one another. So this is not just getting a circle and talk about how bad you are. No, it's a circle of confession and then saying, hey, how do we move forward? How do we change? How do we grow? How can I pray for you? Hey, last week I was praying for you in this sin struggle. How are you doing? It's about accountability. It's about follow-up, fighting for one another. He says, confess your sins and pray for one another so that you may be healed. And I think, again, I think he's, I think James is kind of transitioning back. Yes, he's talking about physical sickness, but in general, just like your spiritual well-being. That healing, restoration comes from fighting for one another, confessing your sins, saying, hey, I got your back. I, I love the picture, you heard me use it several times, but the picture of, of being on a white water raft, that when you recognize, hey, we're in this boat together, let's work together, you make a lot more progress and a lot less mistakes and a lot less people fall out of the boat. When you say, hey, I've got your back. Hey, I see that rapid up there, let's go through this together. Oh man, you fell out of the boat. Well, better luck next year. <laughs> No, you fell out of the boat. Let me put my oar down. Let me stop what I'm doing. Let me pick you back up because I'm praying for you and I've got your back. How different would your small group be? How different would our church be? How different would your family be if we started fighting for one another? But listen, you can't fight for one another if you're living in secrecy. We struggle to get down the river when we're all wearing our choir robes. <laughs> no, you've got to say, you know what? I'm going to be real with who I am. Yes, I'm a, a sinner saved by grace. And here's the ways I'm still struggling, but God is growing me and challenging me. Would you pray for me? Would you fight for me? Again, who are your people? I'm gonna just tell you the truth. If you only come to a service and never in any shape or form throughout your week have a smaller group of people that you connect with, it's gonna be really hard to fight for one another. That's just, that's just a reality. While this isn't the biggest church, it's big enough that if you are not in a smaller group of some sort, it doesn't have to be on Sundays at 11, but if you're not in some sort of smaller group, man, it's hard to pray for each other. Man, it's hard to fight for each other. Get connected. Get, get in community so you can fight for one another. You say, well, man, like, does, does confessing, does praying for each other, does this even work? James says, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> he says, halfway through 16, the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Righteous, so remember, we know that um, typically Paul is using the word righteous with the idea of a sinner saved by grace, that God, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that he paid the price for my sins, that when I trust in him and believe in him, that his righteousness is bestowed on me. So I'm, I'm viewed as righteous in God's eyes, not because of what I've done, but because of the righteousness of Jesus. What we were saying about a few minutes ago, right? I'm, I'm, I'm made right through what Christ has done for me. James is, is building on that idea of, okay, you're made right with God through what Christ has done, but also he kind of circles back to some of the Old Testament idea that righteousness is a life that brings joy to the heart of God. So you can't live a, live a good enough life to bring joy to the heart of God, but the reality is once you're saved, then you live out that faith, you, you begin to walk in righteousness. You begin to do the things that bring joy to the heart of God. And that's what 
James is talking about here. He's talking about a Christian and somebody that's pursuing God. Not that they're perfect, but they're pursuing God. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being as we are. Raise your hand if you're a human being. You guys are crushing it this morning. Way to go. <laughs> it says, Elijah was just like you. He wasn't varsity. He wasn't A-team. He wasn't a little more. No, he was a human like you are. He was a righteous person, someone walking with God, bringing joy to the heart of God. He wasn't perfect, but he was pursuing God. And his prayer was effective. It says, he was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. Y'all, when we pray, it actually does things. This is one of those things that I, I don't, I, I believe fully in the sovereignty of God. I 100% do. This is the tension that, that, that we just have to kind of hold, that God is in control. He's sovereign, but he also invites us to pray. And somehow he weaves our prayers into his master plan. Praying, yes, it's about connecting with God, but God actually responds to your prayers. You want to think that the fifth thing James is saying here, as you pray, how do you do it? You come with humility and you go with hope. You come with humility of, God, you're in control, you're sovereign, I'm gonna trust you, you're the king of kings, but I'm gonna go with hope that you actually hear me and that you care and that the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. It is effective. God hears my prayers. Some, some of us, we get those backwards. We come, we come cocky, God, you better listen up because I'm praying. And the reality is we leave and, and we're not expecting God to do anything. And we need to come humbly and go hope, with hope that God has heard my prayers, that God cares and is actually powerful enough to respond and do something about what I'm praying. I think about, in fact, God is the King of Kings. So we come humbly but he's also, if you're a Christian, he's also your dad. He's your heavenly father who loves to hear your request. He, he loves to respond. You know, everything that my kids ask me for, I don't give them, but I love it when they come to me with a request. And sometimes the things they ask of me, like they, they lead me to, to do something, right? Come with humility, go with hope. How you pray, you gotta be real. Sometimes you gotta receive it, let others pray for you. You gotta dare to be a sinner. We gotta fight for one another. We gotta come with humility and go with hope. Psalm 145, 18 says, the Lord is near to all who call on him, all who call out to him with integrity. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry for help and saves them. When you think about prayer, is it just guilt or do you see it as a gift? Is it just frustration or do you see this morning that God is inviting you to come and have a conversation with the King of Kings and he actually responds to your prayers.
take the invitation. You're always going to see what he's doing, but you can trust and know that he hears, he cares, and he responds. Yes, in his time, in his way, but he does respond. We're going to have a time of response. I'm going to ask our worship team to come on up. And we don't always do this, but I'm going to ask our, uh, if you're a pastor or a director here, would you come stand at the front? I know, I didn't tell you, I didn't give you a warning. Would you go and do that right now? Would you just come down front, put you on the spot if you're a pastor or director? And as we sing this song, <clears throat> if you have a prayer need of any kind, I would love for you to come down and pray with one of these folks or just say, hey, would you, would you pray for me? Maybe here's, <clears throat> sorry, here's my need, X, Y, Z. Would you pray for me? Or maybe you wanna come down front and like take a knee and just talk to the Lord about some sin in your life. You wanna to dare to be a sinner. Or maybe like even a little further, maybe you wanna come and talk with the Lord. Yes, that's where confession begins. But maybe you wanna talk with one of them and say, hey, like, I've been struggling this in my life, some sin in my life. Would you, would you pray for me? I wanna confess it. And would you pray that God would work in my life and give me strength to overcome this sin? Decisions don't happen at altars, they happen at, in hearts. But it sure can be helpful sometimes to put feet, to put movement to what God's doing in your heart, to come and just take a knee or grab somebody, to the hand, somebody by the hand and just say, hey, would you pray for me? I'm gonna trust and believe that maybe God is leading some of you to do that this morning. If you, if you don't know Christ, if you've never trusted him for salvation, his, his righteousness, they love to talk with you about that as well. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna sing this song of response. I'm gonna invite you to come. Let's just make this an altar this morning, knowing God hears our prayers. Take the invitation, come and pray, be bold, be a leader. Let me pray for us and then we'll respond. Lord, thank you for your word. Sometimes the meat is a little harder to chew, it seems like. <laughs> but it's always profitable. I pray just at a base level, as much as there's, there is going on in the text this morning, God, would you just help us to see that prayer is an invitation, Lord. It's not this thing we have to do out of guilt or frustration, but you're inviting us to come and talk with you and you hear us and you respond, you care. So even now, would you help us to take the invitation to, to right now to become people of prayer? Would you even maybe stir in our hearts one of those things that if we need to be just more real with you or dare to be a sinner or, or just inviting, asking someone to pray for us? Lord, maybe we need to link arms with more people to pray together to fight for one another. Lord, just coming with humility and going with hope. God, would you stir one of those in our hearts that we would kind of latch onto and walk with this week? Lord, as we sing this song, as we come down and pray, would you give us clarity? Would you give us boldness? Lord, we pray that what happens in this moment would not just stop now, but would change our tomorrow. Lord, thank you for who you are. Pray as we sing about who you are right now, God, you would just stir our affection for you. If you're encouraged pray. by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 